Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 33. And if this is your first time joining us, and if it's not, welcome back, since we didn't have an episode last week. Yeah. Holiday stuff. Yeah. So with that said, hope everyone's 4th of July was good. Didn't blow off any fingers or anything like that. And didn't become somebody that, you know, didn't realize this was going to be the last day they had all 10 fingers. However, if, if you, you did manage to blow a finger or two off, please just send us pictures. We'd love to see it. <laughs> Not really, because, you know, if you lose your fingers and you can't push play on Spotify or That's true. iTunes, though, listen to us. That's true. Oh, I'm sure they still can use other appendages. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but anyhow, we actually got our first listener email the other night in the middle of us playing Diablo 4. So we literally stopped playing so we both could fucking read it. Yep. Um, they asked to stay anonymous, which we're going to. Which? No, they said that we can use their first name, but not their last name. No. It was, what, three o'clock in the morning when we read this email? Probably, probably closer to four. <laughs> yeah. Either way. So, yeah. I might have not read out the whole thing, but yeah. Yeah. So, thank you, Brittany. We will look into the stories you have sent us yes. as possible topics later on. Yes. Thank you, Brittany. So, what do you have for us this week, Sarah? This is also kind of a, not a listener tale, but it was a listener submission from my oldest sister. And it is true crime. Of course. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say. It is going to be a very long one, though. There was a lot more to it than I thought there was going to be. But it is, yeah. You'll get you'll get your trigger warnings when they, they're needed. Okay. What are you doing? I'm doing, I don't know if it's maybe just more weird history. I don't know if it's an origin story, but the Kentucky Meat Shower. Oh, and of course, once I first read this title, I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and yes, there's, it's on there. <laughs> Do you mind telling us what it is? So, by definition on Urban Dictionary, a Kentucky meat shower, when you're having sexual encounters with multiple rednecks and they pour chicken grease all over your naked body and start to rub their dongs all over you. For example, she, she smelt a penis and chicken for her first Kentucky meat shower last night. But that's not what this Kentucky meat shower is going to be. I hope not. It's not. <laughs> I really, yeah, really hope not. It's going to have tie-ins with jelly beans in it, too. So that, that's the most bizarre part. Not really. The whole thing is bizarre overall. Uh-huh. But we'll get to that later. Should we apologize beforehand for any redneck jokes that come out about Kentucky? Yeah, maybe. I don't think we have anyone that listens to Kentucky. But well, there, there it is. There's... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry, but, and to future Kentuckians that might listen, still not sorry, not sorry. Not sorry, not sorry, for sure. So anyhow, you ready to get started? I am not. This story is awful. <laughs> it's awful. This, like, I was telling you this, like, it takes a lot for me to, I don't know how to even word that. Right. It takes a lot to get to me. Right. This got to me. So, no, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm doing it. Okay. Do you Again. need an emotional support cat? I do. Where's my emotional support cat? He's up there behind me on the shelf. He's jumping down. <laughs> oh, he went the other way. Fucker. Anyways. Cherry Lilish Periwinkle was born into an unusually chaotic world in Jacksonville, Florida on Christmas Eve in 2004. Her parents... Rain Periwinkle and Billy Jero had met at a bar and Cherish was the product of their one night stand. Rain didn't tell Billy about Cherish until she was three years old when she took him to court for child support. A raging custody battle ensued and Billy truly wanted to be a part of his daughter's life that he had just found out about. However, Rain made it seem as though he only wanted to be a part of her life now to benefit his bank account when it came to what he, you know, may potentially have to owe in child support. Right. Which I think that's always like a first thought, that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, maybe the fact that 
now that he knows he really truly wants to be part of it but right knee-jerk reactions Raiden called him an absentee father which is not even close to the truth he hadn't known that Raiden was pregnant in the first place so you can't really be an absentee father no. without knowing that you're a father right you know um sadly this battle went on throughout Cherish's entire lifetime and she probably talked shit about him the whole fucking time up until the point that she finally told him you know I'm <clears throat> I'm sure she Rain is a real peach so I can only imagine that she does and by peach you mean a rotten one yep <laughs> Robert H. Wood came into the mix as their custody evaluator he spent time with both parents watching their parenting styles and their relationships with Cherish while watching the interaction between Billy and Cherish he realized that they had not quite um formed a father-daughter bond yet which is, I would say, to be expected since she just met this man, let right. alone met this man as her father. Right. You know? But Billy was more than willing to take the time and put in the effort to be the father he knew Cherish needed and the father he so desperately wanted to be once he met her. He had a very stable job and a good, stable income. Whereas Rain was not working, so she had no income. Well, that wasn't my guess. Wasn't your guess? No, I figured she was a stripper because her name's fucking Rain and she <laughs> named her daughter Cherish. <laughs> right. I mean, no. She had a knack for neglecting her children when her boyfriend was around or any male figure in general. The men always took priority and not her kids. Robert would claim that he heard outbursts from Rain that were side effects of her bipolar disorder uh, diagnosis. Robert is quoted as saying, Neither parent is perfect. However, between the two, I believe that Mr. Giroux can offer the child some semblance of normalcy in an environment where at least there's a potential for her to thrive. I fear the child's future living with Miss Periwinkle. Even with that statement from a professional custody evaluator, the courts chose to let Rain keep custody of Cherish due to the bond that they already formed and the fact that her siblings lived in the same home. So they didn't want to take them away from her sisters, basically. Right. Unfortunately, this is a decision that would cause great harm in the future. One that would shock the area they lived in, as well as the rest, as well as the rest of the country. Around 8 p.m. on June 21st in 2013, Rain took Cherish and her two sisters shopping at a Dollar General store in their hometown. While there, the girls were all wanting to buy something different but Rain had to keep denying them because uh, she was struggling with funds, which happens when you don't have a job. And she could only get the necessities they had gone in for. An older man walked up to them and offered to use a $150 gift card to Walmart to help them get clothes and whatever else they couldn't afford. But how does a Walmart gift card work in a Dollar Tree or a family dollar? I'll get to that. Now again... With Rain's work pattern being extremely inconsistent and most times non-existent, she took advantage of the deal while it was presented to her, who by then had introduced himself as Donald Smith, and the whole Periwinkle clan got into his white van and headed to Walmart. Now, I don't know about you, but in general, seeing, like, a man in a white van just gives me the heaps. Every time. Uh, and I don't know why. I think it kind of goes back to Ronald Clark O'Brien being the man that killed Halloween. You know, this one isolated uh, incident for one child turned into a national terror, basically. And so now I always yeah. assume that's what everybody's going to do. It's kind of like what you and I were talking about yesterday on the, going to the store about, like, not everybody's out yeah. to steal shit. Yeah. Just because you saw people getting in a nice chest and you're like, I wonder how many people actually buy it. It's like, not everybody's out to steal shit most of the time, you know? Most of the time. I mean, it's like going to like Subway or whatever, and there's like a bunch of bags. They don't know who you are if you're this person. You could just mm -hmm. walk in and get a free meal if you really wanted to, but yeah. you don't because you know stealing's wrong. And you don't want to go to jail. Not everybody lives off that code, though. I understand that. It's one of the, I guess you could say it's an intrusive thought. It's like, I can just <laughs> get a free meal if I really wanted yeah. to, but anyhow. And then you get it, and it's fucking terrible, and it's got everything yeah, on it that you're allergic like, to. That's what you deserve. It's like the tuna fish on wheat or something. Ugh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah. the Periwinkle shopped at Walmart with Donald for the next hour and a half. Around 10.30 p.m., Donald offered to go get burgers for McDonald's um, that was inside the Walmart. The McDonald's was in the Walmart. Right. It was near the entrance. 
Cherish decided she was going to follow him to help him carry things back. Surveillance cameras showed Donald and Cherish skipping the, Mac the McDonald's and walking straight out the front doors. This would be the last time Cherish was seen alive. A mere half hour later, after Donald and Cherish walked out the front door, Rain made a phone call to the police reporting that her daughter had been abducted. Five hours later, an Amber Alert was sent out. And by that point, it probably was already too late. Morning broke and Cherish's body was found in a creek behind a church. Investigators believed that Donald bound her up inside the back of his van, sexually assaulted her before strangling her to death. And we will come back to all that, but I'm going to get into Donald. All right, so Donald was what the numerous psychologists that worked with him over the years had called the worst kind of child predator. He knew what type of parent to look for that he knew he'd be able to take advantage of with his kindness right? Uh, and allow him time with their children, which is exactly what he did to Rain and her three daughters. His brain, his brain doesn't function as a normal person's brain does. Uh, he had permanent brain damage from a head injury when he was young. And to add more to that, it was skewed at a young age due to sexual abuse he himself had endured as a child. Also, uh, the heavy drug abuse that he put himself through and sexual relationships he had with his family members kind of rewired the yeah. wiring in his brain. A psychologist stated that he lacked basic impulse control. Due to the brain injury Donald has, another psychologist said that the part of the brain that was affected not only allowed him to dive into his dark side, but for lack of better terms, like it didn't allow him to stop once he started. His father was sexually abusive towards him, but wound up dying when Donald was fairly young. He was sexually abused by other family members and neighborhood bullies. With his father dead, this left just his, his mother to take care of him. And in doing so, the two formed a very weird closeness. She never acknowledged his drug, uh, his drug problem. Like, there was a weekend that he went through, we'll say he sped through $100,000 on cocaine. And damn. Yeah, in a weekend. She never even acknowledged that that happened. How can you not acknowledge that, you know... Having that much cash for one particular drug, and they still fucking lived. I'm sure they he just wasn't bumping that shit by himself. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Psychologist Joseph Wu said that the damage on the right side of Donald's brain caused the hypersexuality, and could release pedophilic orientation. Wu also stated that the verbal abuse from Donald's mother. The physical and verbal abuse by his father and the sexual abuse that happened to him by family members and the neighborhood boys had created the perfect storm that could possibly lead to immense failure and impulse control, which would result in a destructive life or lifestyle, which is exactly what happens. Or what happened. At the age of 10, Donald began exposing himself in public. By public, I mean places inhabited by kids. So think... Playgrounds, um, parks, things yeah. like that. He would show his penis to anyone and everyone he came across, adult or child. It didn't, it didn't matter to him. When he hit age 18, he would start masturbating while in public, seemingly getting off on the confusion and shock on everyone's faces around him. When he turned 21, he was arrested for masturbating inside of a park in front of a child. He was given a five-year jail sentence... While he was incarcerated, there were more psychologists and other professionals of the nature that stated he should not be released back into the world. No, he shouldn't have been. He should have clearly with been in some kind of, hate using the word institution, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean. I know it's the correct word, but it's like yeah. there's a mental health facility, I guess you could really say. It's what I'm trying correct. to actually say, but not institution. Correct. They said this was due to his inability to be rehabilitated. With the mixture of his brain injury and the severe adolescent abuse he had gone through, it was never going to happen. He, will n he would never be rehabilitated. Yeah. Again, because his brain wasn't wired as it should be. 
Donald was released in 1987, and I think the court really should have listened to those psychologists, because it only gets worse from here. Right. But, you know, the courts, you know, always know better than doctors. In September of 1992, the then 36-year-old Donald attempted to kidnap a 13-year-old girl named Carrie Ann Buck by approaching her in a van as she walked to one of her friend's houses. Even being young, Carrie Ann knew better when Donald tried to get her into his van. She told him no, at which point he started screaming at her and demanding she get in and leave with him. Again, she said no and then took off running towards her friend's house. She made it there only to run up to a door that wouldn't be answered. She knew she had no choice but to continue running until she hit the school's playground. As she climbed inside one of those, like, tube slides, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And positioned herself in such a way that wouldn't allow her to slide down. So she stuck herself in there. And she heard a vehicle approach. She heard a man out there yelling for the little girl. Yeah. So he was out there. He was looking for her, screaming. And she didn't make a sound. She didn't come out of the slide. Carrie Ann stayed inside the tube slide until she heard him walk away, get in, and start his van and leave the area. Carrie Ann waited a bit longer after that, even, to make sure he was gone. And then she exited the slide and ran back to her friend's house, where they opened the door and called the police. When Carrie Ann was home later on, she noticed the same van with Donald in it driving around her street. She immediately told her mom, and mom went into mama bear mode. She grabbed her kid and her keys, and they took off to follow the van so that they could get the license plate number as well as the make and model of the van to hand over to police. While driving behind Donald, Carrie Ann saw... Carrie Ann said that she saw him looking at her, so she knew that he saw her. Yeah. And that he had a look on his face like he was going to murder her. Back at the house this time, Carrie Ann's mom called the police and handed over the information, and it took no time at all for Donald to be arrested again. This time it was for attempted kidnapping and two counts of possession of child porn, which he had uh, intentions to sell. Donald wound up getting sentenced to six years on the first charge and then five years for the two counts of child pornography. Donald was then released uh, this time in 2003. The same year as his release, he was re-arrested again, and then re-released at the age of 51 in 2007. After the last arrest, Donald had no choice but to move back in with his mom, who saw no flaws in her son. I'm going to rephrase that. Who chose not to see the flaws in her son. Right. She went so far as to say that every crime up to this point had been done by other people, and that those people were trying to frame her son. We'll just say his mother is probably the worst enabler I've ever heard of. So far. Uh, Yeah. She flaunted him around to her friends in the community, and they would go on to say that he was a nice and a sincerely funny man. And even though, even though he was a pedophile, he seemed quite normal. Yeah. You know who also seemed quite normal? Ted fucking Bundy. Like, okay. So, in my book, he would be a pedophile before he was a man, before he was funny and charming right. and whatever. Right, but, you know, his mother being an enabler, was like, oh, he's not doing any of that stuff. Yeah, but the townspeople. Right. So, wait, so the entire town was like... Yes! Oh, my God. That wasn't his mom. That was the town people. It was like... Unlike today, you know, with like groups like BAP around us, Bikers Against Predators, mm-hmm. that, you know, you put that shit on, out there on the internet, on social media sites, you're now labeled that for life. Yep. But it just goes to show this is what, the 1980s currently? This was uh, 2007. Well, I mean, currently, right now, when you're talking about this, is probably like 80s, 90s, before the actual case. Anyway, it doesn't matter exactly on timeline for what I'm trying to say. When she took him around to her her friends and shit? Yes. 2007. Okay, so I was thinking this was still earlier when he was, like, still living with his mother. He is living with his mother at this time. Well, social media wasn't as prominent in our lives as it is now. 
No. Because back in 2006, 2007, you didn't, we didn't have the mobile apps, I don't really think, did we? I don't know, that was so long ago. <laughs> so that's the thing with our generation is that we grow up with technology so fast. That's why we had this deep-seated love for nostalgia things, because things change yeah. so fast for our age group. Yeah. But social media wasn't added, like so much in our face in these times. I'm pretty sure MySpace was a thing. Yeah, it was. But it was like how it's in our hands constantly now. It wasn't oh, like yeah, that in 2006. True. Like we were still using desktop computers and whatnot. They get true. on social media. Yeah. Or laptops or whatever. I mean, there probably was the apps, but not like how they are now. Yeah. So that's probably like why he wasn't put on blast like the way people are now with like bikers against predators. Maybe. It was like the favorite one is like when they were down by the courthouse and somebody come rolling by and recognize them. Chomo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Also, let's talk about them at the end. With Donald's new community connections and the facade that he was surely playing, some of these yuppies decided to let the fucker into their homes as a handyman. And the entire time, he had not curbed his pedophile ways. Shocker, right? No. I mean, when no. psychologists tell you this is something he's never going to be able to stop, and they tell you don't release him back into society and you release him into society, he's going to continue to do this shit. Right. <sighs> On January 11th, 2013... A phone call was made to Crime Stoppers in regard to an older, silver-haired man that was making her feel extremely uncomfortable. And it wasn't even her that was the target. The call came from a woman who had been shopping at Walmart. She noted she saw this man walking around very slowly, watching women, and paying special interest to those women that had children with them. And the way that he was lurking around made the caller so anxious that she felt the need to alert authorities. Ten days after this call was made, the unthinkable would happen. So we're going to jump ten days into the future to January 21st, 2013. Rain and her kids went to Dollar General, as I mentioned earlier. They were there to pick up last-minute necessities needed for Cherish, since she was heading to California the next day to spend time with her dad. She was so excited to see him. Rain only had $100 in her bank account thanks to her current boyfriend giving it to her so that they could get Cherish to the airport and ship her off to her father. Cherish had found a dress that she really wanted to buy and to wear while she was with her dad in California. It was a little dress with hearts all over it. Rain told her she couldn't afford it and for Cherish to put it back on the rack. Rain is quoted in later testimony that Donald had walked over to her and Cherish and said, if you really want that dress, I will get it for you. Donald stated to Rain that he had a $150 gift card that was gifted to him and his wife. And he offered to, you know, use that money on mm -hmm. them. Rain agreed to it. Not knowing that Donald was in fact not married, but was using it as a tactic to make her feel more comfortable. Donald said that his wife was headed to the Dollar General to drop off the gift card. While waiting outside, Rain kept asking where his wife was, and he just continued saying she's coming and that she's driving a gold car. During the wait, Donald would give Rain information about himself that would make her feel even more comfortable. Information like his name being Donald, but he likes to be called Don. And where he supposedly was working at some place called Habajacks. I didn't bother to look that up because I don't give a fuck. It sounds like it's probably like a regional type Fiji's or Martins, basically. By know. name like that. Be my guess. Things to make him seem more human and, you right. know, less harmless. He worked rain like a fiddle and she gladly sang its tune. At this point, they got in the van and headed to Walmart. Rain described the inside of the van as being dark, that there were shades in the windows, there were no seats in the middle like they're supposed to be. Right. The front passenger seat was laid flat like a dentist chair. That's what Rain said. There was a bench seat in the back of the van, which is where her three girls sat, while she sat up front next to Donald the whole ride. The two made small talk, he asked her how old everyone was, and he gave up the fact that he was 61 years old. He continued to talk about his job and his wife, who he said was from the Virgin Islands. 
Once they made it to Walmart, they waited in the van for a little bit on his wife in the gold car to show up. He told Rain to take the girls inside and head to the girls' department, you know, where the clothes are, and he would meet them in there. So she got her girls, Nevaeh, Cherish, and Destiny out, and they all headed inside together, leaving Donald alone sitting in his van. Rain and the girls began to shop. They went to the shoes and then the clothes. Donald showed up and started walking around with them as they shopped in the little girl section. Rain asked where his wife was, and again, he stated that she was coming. Donald continued to follow until Rain said her girls were getting fussy because they hadn't eaten. So Donald jumped at the chance. He asked them what they wanted to eat, and Rain gave them a list um, of what they wanted. He started walking away and then men- and then motioned for Cherish to follow him, which she did with no hesitation. Seeing her mother trust this man trickled down to her, and she felt safe. They walked up to the McDonald's, and then right out the front doors for Cherish to never be seen again. 30 minutes after Donald and Cherish walked away from Rain, she started becoming worried because they hadn't come back yet. And the McDonald's was inside the Walmart, so she knew that they shouldn't have been gone for a half an hour. Right. She said she went and checked by the shoes. There was no sign of Cherish or Donald. She started walking the building numerous times looking for the pair when she heard a Walmart employee state over the speakers that they were closing soon and it was time to head to the registers to check out. This is when Rain's anxiety took hold and she started yelling, asking for someone to let her use their cell phone since hers was dead. In the 911 call from Rain, she states that her daughter had been taken. She gave a description of what the man looked like that she walked off with. She states how she had a strange feeling about him when she first met him and that he had taken Cherish to the dressing room twice while they were shopping. Like, that would have been a good point to step in and be like, hey, don't take my daughter in the dressing room. Don't go in the dressing room with my daughter. But she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And not only did it happen once. Like, no. Nope. Yeah. But it didn't just happen once. It was twice. Yeah. Anyways, she states that uh, he's driving a white van and the operator asks if Rain remembered anything from the outside of the van. Any stickers, decals, anything. And Rain replied with, I know he's got carpet in the van, but I didn't take a good look. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> she didn't ask you what the inside of the van was. How mm. are they going to find it by the inside of the van? Anyways. She was unable to answer the question about the man's clothes that he was wearing or anything notable about the outside of the van. Rain literally said in the 911 call, I hope he's not raping her right now because I've had that done to me and it's not fun. She starts crying hard at this point and I believe it's the point where she realized how badly she fucked up. She starts explaining how Cherish is supposed to be getting on an airplane to go to California tomorrow and how she told this to the man that took them shopping She states that Donald knew when the store was going to be closing and how she was stupid because she realized that he had been focusing a lot on Cherish, like his attention, all on Cherish. She says at one point, I hope to God he doesn't kill her. I hope to God he doesn't rape her. I don't know why he would leave right now unless he's going to rape her and kill her. That's the only reason and I'm wasting time standing here. The operator asked again if she remembered anything from the outside of the van And this time she was able to recall like a metal stripe that went on the outside, not Mm -hmm. like a pinstripe, but like a metal piece of metal that wrapped around the van. Probably the bumper strip is what you're talking about. No, this would have been like halfway up. That's what it's called. Oh, it's the. Yeah. It's it's so you don't ding your shit on somebody else's door or whatever. Oh, it could be. The operator asked who Rain was talking to because she could hear Rain talking to somebody in the background. And she said it was one of the Walmart employees and that there were now two cops there. She also asked if Rain had looked to see if the van was still in the parking lot. And she hadn't. So she went out and looked in the parking lot and realized the van was indeed gone. And this is where she starts crying, saying, oh my God, he took her. How do you not go out and look to see if the fucking van is still there? Probably because she's all really all over the place because of trying to find her daughter. You're not thinking clearly. Uh, I, I guess. Like such an overwhelming emotions come over over somebody. Like when we helped 
Dee and her mother move out of her apartment after it caught fire and nobody knew where to start and I just took charge of everything because oh, yeah. as bad as it sounds, I have no emotional attachment to what's going on in this building and right. didn't know. And I was on the opposite side of things putting that shit up before my, fire, my time in the fire service. So it's like, right. here's what you need to save. Get that and get shit moving. And then everybody just kind of fell in line after that. True. I don't know. I, I think... If it was me, like, I would have run out to see if that van was there before I called the cops. Right. You know what I mean? Anyways, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office broadcast a bolo. Do you, you know what that is? I'm sure it's in terms of all points bulletin. Be on the lookout. Yeah. At 11.36 p.m. for Cherish, as well as the white van. The police were able to watch the surveillance videos and saw both Cherish and Donna leaving Walmart in the van. They were also able to identify the man as being that of Donald Smith. Even knowing his history, the Amber Alert that got sent out was not done until 4 a.m. the next morning. An hour after that, the news and media outlets were given the information. And then three hours after that, a concerned person would call the phone number that they had seen on the TV and report that they saw a vehicle matching the description of the van sitting outside of Highlands Baptist Church. There's no reason that they should have waited that long to put an Amber Alert out for her. Right. Knowing who she was with, like, they knew when they saw that person, they knew that it was Donald and his history. And still it was five hours later that they put it out. They had been gone for half an hour before the call to 911 went through from rain, so if they had had that Amber Alert out, like that girl would possibly be alive at right. this point. 20 minutes after the phone call from the concerned citizen came through, Donald's van was spotted on the highway and the van was pulled over. Unfortunately, Cherish was not in the van. Oddly, though, Donald was soaking wet. The police asked him where he had been all night and he said he had been out smoking crack with prostitutes. And that he was wet because he sweats a lot when he does drugs. So there's a difference between wet from sweat and being in a body of water. But anyhow. With that same concerned phone call, the cops knew that they had to search the area behind the church. There was a marsh back there, so they felt they knew what had happened. They just needed the proof. So they set out to look for anything in hopes that they were wrong about their gut feelings. On June 22, 2013, the police found what they were sincerely wishing they, sh they wouldn't. They found the body of eight-year-old Cherish Periwinkle. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. Okay. This part is going to be extremely graphic. Like, I will basically be telling you what the medical examiner found during the autopsy. Okay. No details left out. So, right, like we said from what episode one almost. Yeah, but this is really hard to hear. So, this is your warning. If you don't think you can handle it, I suggest you either skip forward to David's part or just turn the episode off because it's, it's not going to be easy. So, Donald Smith finally went on trial in 2018. And the gory details of what happened to eight-year-old Cherish Periwinkle became disturbingly clear. Dr. Valerie Rao was the medical examiner that did the autopsy on Cherish. Rao had gone to the crime scene herself because it was the case of a child's murder. So she wanted pictures of how she was as she was found. Right. She told the investigators to take pictures um, of her body from all angles prior to the body being moved. She stated in her testimony... That the way she works is to have pictures taken of the body with no disturbances. The clothes are still on. The way they were where the body was found. Nothing is touched. They photograph everything and then they remove the clothing once they get to the actual autopsy part of it. So that they can further examine the bodies. They take pictures of every step of the way. Each visible wound on the body is taken up in close up basically. So they can get the details of it. Each incision she has to make herself, each organ that is pulled for dissection, any testing, anything, it is all photographed. In this particular case, a rape kit was used the day Cherish's body was found. 
and the autopsy was done the following day, which would have been June 23rd, 2013. This was done so that they could keep whatever evidence may or may not have been found with the kit, and there was a lot. Rao began talking about each photo that was submitted into evidence during her testimony. Thank, let me let me just say that they did not show any of the pictures in this video of the right. the doctor speaking. It just showed the doctor. But they have screens where they sit on the stand that they can look at it so that she could see what picture she was talking about and explain yeah. what she was seeing. So I didn't see any of them. I think if it had shown any of it, I probably would have turned it off. I know I would have turned it off. But it started with a picture of Cherish's face as she had laid on the table. The next picture was that of a small patch of tiny dots on her skin. Uh, Rao stated that this was because of ants biting her and eating her skin, basically, while she laid in the marsh. The next picture is that of her breasts and the bruising around her nipples, which Dr. Rao said was consistent with someone sucking on her breast. So they were hickeys. The next picture was of her left leg, showing the bruising and scratches that were all over her body. While this picture was being shown, Rao tells the court that these injuries sustained to Cherish's body were done prior to her death. So she was alive while all of this happened to her. The next picture is another area of her body showing more cuts and bruises. The back of her left thigh had a large bruise on it. Her right leg was shown next, and there were more scratches and bruising on her skin there as well which Rao had found consistent with Cherish being drug out to where she was found. The tall grass would have scratched her legs up, as the picture had shown. Her right thigh was also heavily bruised, and the bruises and cuts were consistent through her entire body. The prosecutor had asked Dr. Rao what the cause of Cherish's death was, and Rao said, Mechanical asphyxiation. She then went on to explain what that meant in this case. Cherish sustained such tremendous force on her neck to the point that she was not able to breathe. She suffered a swollen brain due to the lack of oxygen, and that resulted in death. They showed a photo afterward of the bruising on her neck, which included small areas above where Donald had wrapped some sort of ligature around her her neck. Dr. Rouse said that they were very small, so it would have been like a children's belt or rope. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but just above that, you can see, like, that there was hemorrhaging under the skin. Okay, so you know when you throw up really hard? Yeah. And you get those little red, like, dots around your eyes and on Mm -hmm. your nose and your cheeks? That is essentially what was going on with that area on her neck. Is that it was just, the force of it was so hard that it broke all those little blood vessels. During the strangulation... Her nose had bled, as did her eyes. Her gums had also bled between the teeth due to the sheer force behind the strangulation and smothering that took place. The next photo was of her mouth, her nose, and her chin. All of her injuries to the face were due to the force put on her face while Donald was trying to keep her quiet by smothering her. The prosecutor went on to ask about the rape kit and how that works. Dr. Rao explained that it includes taking pieces of fingernails that were broken to see if there was any skin under them from the perpetrator. They then lay the body down in a position as close to what a female would be in when they get a pap smear. And they take pictures of all of this as well. The anal cavity is swabbed first, because if they did the vaginal part first, some of what was inside could slide out and Mm -hmm. down and cause errors in reading the anal test. The vaginal swab is done next, as well as removing any hairs or fibers within, which they did find in Cherish. Rao stated that while looking at this girl's genital and anal area, that there was so much visible damage, she said, and I quote, The anatomy was totally distorted by the injury sustained to her vaginal and anal area. She then goes on to talk about the distance between a woman's vaginal opening and the opening in relation to the anus. So there's space in between there. Right. There, it's, it's like a thick wall of tissue that separates them. They then showed the jury a picture of the photo taken of Cherish, and there is basically no separation between vagina and anus. It had been completely destroyed. Semen had been found in Cherish's mouth, vagina, and anus. Rao then went on to try and talk about the 
dissection of the throat. But she actually wound up crying on the stand and, you know, saying she needed a minute. Right. So they took a recess and then came back and she started talking about it. She said how there had been so much pressure on the neck that she had hemorrhaged deep into the muscles of her neck. Dr. Rao also had to examine Donald's body. There were pictures taken of his penis, which showed that there were abnormalities due to recent injuries to the penis. She went on to describe how he had a circular bruise around the head of his penis, as well as numerous small bruises on the shaft itself. She stated that this is a result of sucking motions with significant force. She was able to determine the bruises were fresh, which would have occurred in the same time frame as the murder of Cherish. The last question asked by one of the prosecutors was, Cherish's body was found in water. Was there any evidence that she drowned? And Rao said no. So with that horrid shit out of the way, I'm going to move on and end the story. Do a little bit of the, the aftermath. So Rain had begun being erratic in her own life. She had claimed at one point during the trial that she was clairvoyant and had always known that Cherish would be dead at the age of eight. Oh, get the fuck out of here. She literally volunteered this information during a deposition in the case. If you were such a fucking clairvoyant, you would have found your daughter the day of. But anyhow. Correct. A month after Cherish's murder took place, her two sisters were removed from Rain's home by the Department of Children and Families. Thank God. Uh, the reason for that has not come to light. I'm hoping at some point it does. Because mm. I, would, I would like to know. But something else did come to light. Rain had lived in Australia and had a, another child years before Cherish was born. She abandoned this child. Rain's sister Carrie has been on TV saying how Rain is the worst mother in the world, how what happened was the worst case of child neglect that she has ever seen or heard of. The abandoned daughter looked to be probably in her 20s now. Yeah. Um, she blames Rain for all of what happened to Cherish. This caused a huge uproar in the community, and many that were once behind Rain were no longer behind her. She was unable to get a job after that as well saying that she was still grieving, so she couldn't work. Meanwhile, her two other daughters, Nevaeh and Destiny, went to live with their Aunt Carrie in Australia. And it's reported that they are both happy and have adjusted well to being there with their, you know, aunt and in their new environment. So that's good. Right. Billy Giroux, Cherish's father, said in an interview a year after the death of his daughter, I live with this every day. I spend a lot of time walking around and I do a lot of researching, looking at stories and looking at details and trying to find answers, and there isn't any. He went on to say, it's been really hard. I've been searching for answers for a lot of things. To sit out and wait for trial and everything else that happened, it's just, it's agony. As for Donald, well, he knew he was fighting a losing battle in court. What Donald did ruined a family, and by him pleading not guilty... He set the family up again for a trial where they would be forced to see pictures of their deceased daughter and look up to see his face staring back at him, staring back at them every day they were in the courtroom. Carrie Ann Buck that I talked about earlier, the one that hid in the tube slide, mm -hmm. she showed up and talked at the trial and told her account of the terrifying encounter that she had with Donald. His trial was pretty short and it took the jury 12 minutes to come to an a unanimous decision that he did, in fact, kidnap, rape, and murder eight-year-old Cherish Periwinkle. There were videos from inside the jail, like the room where they can talk on the phone to somebody on the other side of the yeah. glass, of him talking to his mom. You know, the one who thinks her boy does no wrong. And let me guess, still to this point, he still did nothing wrong. You right? couldn't hear anything on her end because it was only videoing the side of the room that he was on. Yeah. So, yes, the videos of him talking to his mom through the plexiglass window. Um, he must have been really, really fucking stupid to think that they didn't have a video recording in that room. Right. Because he basically confessed to killing her numerous times without actually saying, I killed Cherish Periwinkle. Like, ugh, yeah. He also brought up how he needed to learn about mental disorders so that he can prepare himself for court to make himself look insane to get an insanity plea. No. 
Yeah. Because we learned back in uh, Tony Kurtz's episodes the process you have to go through. Right. To even get that as a legitimate defense. <clears throat> right. But he probably didn't know that. And then when, you know, people other try to do it, oh, I'll just be crazy and get away with it. And then they realize yeah. how much goes into it. And then just like, and the, never mind. And the way that he was telling his mom, it was almost like he was pleading with her to buy books about different mental diagnosis. Yeah. Diagnoses. So that he could research them and use them in court. The trial for Donald Smith started in February 2018. He was found guilty of first degree murder as well as sexual battery. And he won himself a death sentence. Yay! He's tried to appeal his sentence in April of 2021. Boo! But it was immediately denied. Good. <laughs> in well, one he of, should be like, yay again. Yeah. In one of the videos that came out of him talking to his mother in jail, he stated that he would rather die than be subjected to being raped every day. I think the death sentence should be dangled over his head just out of reach for him. Well, he gets brutally raped, just as he brutally raped Cherish. So, I'm done, but my last thought is this. Protect your babies. Be smarter than Rain Periwinkle. And that's it. Done. Your ending was not as bad as you thought it was. I felt like I rushed it a lot after Mm -hmm. the autopsy part. But yeah, death was always too fast for these people, but... Bikers against predators. So before moving on to our unicorns and rainbows, I guess you could call it being, you know, the happier parts of this, our episodes. A the, much lighter story. The, the goofy shit that I always tend to find and then yes. researching. And I find even something even more goofy. Yes. Or things that I didn't even know existed. But anyhow, bikers <laughs> against predators. Yes. You said you wanted to talk about them. Yes. So what did you want to say about them? So it is a, an organization yep, uh, a non-profit organization non-profit organization near us that uh basically they have decoys that talk to men on a numerous amount of apps uh and they they find child predators and then the yep. host of this will go to the meetup locations that they had the child quote unquote mm-hmm. uh and the male yeah he goes decided on he goes there he meets up with them and he live streams all of them on facebook yeah and sarah uh, like will literally stop whatever she's doing to watch them yeah it's fantastic and as you had said uh when he was filming downtown that people i mean he's been all over the place we've seen this guy walking through meyer yeah and so, he's he's a he's a big dude. <laughs> right. It's like when I saw him, I was like, is he just regular shopping or is somebody's day about to get fucked up? Right. I believe he was just regular shopping. Though. Probably. But, <laughs> you know, he could have been doing that to not draw suspicion. But that's true. And he and recently they don't just cover our state. They go other places now. Oh, yeah. They've been up in Michigan. They've gone to Florida. Oops. They've been in Wisconsin. They go where these pedophiles take them basically and yeah i absolutely love the thought behind bikers against predators and i highly suggest you look up in your own areas if there are people that do the same thing like those are the people you need to support support the ones that are looking out for your children right i mean they're looking out for all children no matter what but yeah and one of the biggest misconceptions that I remember reading about this is is that they aren't going out starting these conversations. They are coming to them. Yes. They don't. The decoys do not go on these sites um, looking for anybody. It's always the men coming to them. And they clearly state that they're 12, 13, 14, and these men proceed anyways. Yeah. And then Boots gets involved and... Surprise! There's this six yeah. foot five dude in fucking cowboy boots. Yeah, and his leather coat. Yeah, yeah. But those those are the types of nonprofits that people should definitely look into and get behind and yep. help support, donate, whatever. Yep. Anything to do to help support them because currently the count on their website is that they have caught and exposed 225 online child predators and even more still in progress. Yeah. And that's just the number that's probably. 
yeah have gotten charges or they even know or the process is even started on yeah and they they do like once they catch these people like i said they live stream it but they also update you afterwards like if these people get um arrested and sent to jail and they go through trial whatever like they keep you informed every step of the way right. on these people that they catch and sometimes it's even right there on the live stream they get arrested yep there's been a few like that but if you live in our area know who we're talking about if you see boots out don't draw attention to him because you don't know what he's doing yep he could be just living his life or you know doing his job yeah even though it's a non-profit but yep don't draw, I guess, you could probably be like, hey, what's up, or whatever. Yeah. Don't draw super huge attention to him, I guess you could say. Yeah. Because you might ruin whatever he's got going on. <clears throat> and being a nonprofit, they, I mean, it's just that they don't, they don't make profit off of this. They, whatever money is donated to them, they use to buy plane tickets or gas money to get them to their next catch. Yeah. So, whatever apparel your people around you might be selling, like... Support them, because it's needed. Definitely now. Yep. But with that, can we please have our unicorns and rainbows? Yeah. I was going to say there was also the one watch we watched in Kroger when somebody knew the perpetrator, like, screamed at him and <sighs> yeah. snatched him out of the store. It's like, why would you snatch them out of the store? Yeah. You know what they've done at this point, because you clearly know who he's talking to. That wound up being his wife. That oh. was his wife that came and grabbed him out of that store. Oh, was it? Yeah. I just remember you two on the replay back so I can see it. Yeah. Either way, she should have just left him there. Uh, agreed. But that's just my personal opinion. So you ready to hear about meat showers in Kentucky? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm so and much ready. And not ones with chicken grease? No. 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 Greasy dicks. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Kentucky Meat Shower. Alright. Let's do it. I'm sure we all have heard the expression stringing cats and dogs, along with April showers bring May flowers, which we also found out that saying is much longer in episode 23, it will kill you about the um, poison garden in the United Kingdom. Yep. March winds and April showers bring flowers and June bugs, but in the late 19th century in Kentucky, it might have gone something like this. March meat and April showers bring May flowers and June bugs. March meat. <laughs> Ew. Now, this isn't the Urban Dictionary of Kentucky Meat Shower where you encounter some overstimulated rednecks with a bucket of chicken grease. <laughs> what the Kentucky Meat Shower was, is about an hour-long incident in Bath County, Kentucky. <laughs> Sorry, you killed me with the overstimulated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. That That's caught fine. me off guard. Is what, like, I had to write it in ways that I know it was going to get to you because of how <laughs> much you were having troubles getting through your yeah. story. That was good. Thank you. The Kentucky meat shower happened near Olympia Springs, Kentucky. Mary Crouch, the wife of Ellen Crouch of a local farmer of Olympia, was making soap on their front porch on March 3rd, 1876, in the late hours of the morning while her husband and sons were away on errands. Around 11 a.m., she would notice what looked like pieces of red meat hitting the ground, and this lasted for several minutes and covering about the same distance of a football field, 100 yards by 50 yards wide. I'm just... How did it, why was there meat falling from the sky? I just want you to, like, uh -huh. blurt it out so I know. Because, <laughs> yeah, that article I sent you, that video I sent yeah. you, I didn't read the article. I did not watch the video. Because I knew I saw the title and I knew this was a you. <laughs> okay. So I I have no idea what the hell you're right. about to tell me. <laughs> Mary would also go on to say in later interviews interviews for the Herald newspaper in their area that the weather was clear and sunny that day with a slight breeze before the unexpected carnal rain fell around her. By the time it was done, pieces of unidentified meat scattered the ground, stuck to fence posts and railings, staining them what appeared to be blood. When she was later interviewed by the newspaper, The Herald, she estimated at least about half a bushel, which is roughly four gallons, covered the land of this mysterious guy meat. Four gallons? Yes. Wow. Numerous animals that the Crouch had owned, more all their livestock and yeah. the cats, dogs, and you know all their, their hogs mostly is what they had on their farm, actually started eating this mysterious meat that fell from the sky, but none of them fell ill from eating it except for the dog suspiciously mysteriously died a month later 
but I don't think that's related. Yeah, probably not. Even still, there was no clear answer what this meat was. Ellen Crouch, her husband, collected samples of from fences and the briar bushes that look like Christmas trees from hell, as he said in their appearance. Because they have thorns on them. Yeah. Yeah. He then handed these samples off to Harrison Gill of Olympia that preserved them in alcohol. Some of these meat chunks would actually be eaten by locals to try and identify what the meat was. That's fucking brave, yo. (laughs) (laughs) That's really brave. Oh, God. So one of the people that actually tried this was actually a butcher from Mount Sterling, Kentucky. But it only goes by Elsie Frisbee. Is the they didn't give an actual first name. He would also tell the Herald that several persons told me it was a dangerous experiment, but I told them my constitution could stand as much of a rooster's or a cat's, referring to the crotch's animals. Ah, okay. Even after a few chews of this meat, he would end up spitting it out after a kind of milky, watery fluid oozed out of it, but it had the texture of veal or lamb, but couldn't place the taste or smell of it. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Sarah's face right now. Uh. Merchant Joe Jordan also dared to try this meat, but also spit his piece out as it said it smelled like a dead body and leached brown mucus out of it when he chewed on it. <laughs> Gross. Some of these other guesses is that it was bear or venison meat. A trapper guessed bear and the venison as well, too. But Okay, but how does a bear fall from the sky in chunks? Unless it was on a plane and it fell out and hit the fan. Well, like some of these pieces were anywhere from two to five pieces. You know, two to five inches in size. Jesus. A correspondent for the Herald newspaper would try and bribe an Irish railroad worker named Jimmy Welsh to take a bite. Welsh said he would do it for a dollar, and that comes out to be $28.42 in 2023. English calculator. But Welsh kept finding reasons not to do it. First, he would ask for a side dish. Then he demanded whiskey, as any Irishman would. And finally, we claim that he wasn't even hungry. After this newspaper correspondent raised the reward to $3, which is $85.27 with my handy. $85? Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's a huge jump. Yeah. Also, $85 is not nearly enough to make me eat some random shit that's fallen from the sky. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're going to have to pay me millions. (laughs) Right. Even though with this almost being $100 in today's money, Walsh suddenly remembers that he can't eat meat due to it being Lent at this time of the year. Ah. Uh, and why, you know, he just could have just said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't care how much money you're offering me. But, yeah. But most people do respect the religious beliefs and whatever, so that's probably what it was. I mean, lucky him, he got out of it. <laughs> right. Some speculated that Mary made this all up to frighten her husband into selling their farm, but the Crouches laughed this off because Mr. Crouch was already wanting to sell the farm as it was. Another theory was that it was the lunch of a passing balloonist that it fell from their basket. Like a hot air balloon? Yes. Oh my god, okay. I like, even looked at it, it's like, okay, maybe why, this story's made up. Why would they have so, raw meat up there? <laughs> I don't know, this is just one of the far out, far stretched things in, about it was, and one of the other ones that was there, but is that, which is more on the wackadoodle level, that this is like alien meat from a planet that exploded. Oh my god. Let's go with that. That, was, that had animals <laughs> similar to Earth, that the, this was from a fallen meteor from a planet that exploded and had similar oh animals goodness. to earth okay you gotta remember this is the late 19th century so it's, yeah the universe like space in the universe wasn't well we don't know as much about it then now as we do today even though we still don't know more that much about it leopold brandis and i analyzed some of this mystery meat and claimed that is not meat at all but gnostic gnostic is a gelatinous bacteria that is similar to blue green algae so that slimy feeling you get on rocks and streams yeah. and whatnot, that's what this basically is. Ew. Yeah, and I had a hard time looking at the pictures of this stuff, and I wanted to, it made me want to throw up, because it looks like a giant fucking loogie. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Nasty can actually be found in the soil, on moist rocks, in the bottom of lakes commonly. It can even be found in deserts. Really? Yeah, it's, it's found everywhere. Okay. It was first believed that Gnostic fell from the sky and earned names like Star Jelly, Troll's Butter, or Witch's Butter, but this was discredited after uh, Mary saying that the weather was clear that day. Star Jelly. I like it. (laughs) Even further testing was done on this meat by Dr. Alan McClain Hamilton to find it was cartilage and lung tissue. 
He believes that this, that it came from either a horse or a human. Today, we still don't know what the reign of meat in Olympia, Kentucky was, but the most plausible theory was a kettle of turkey vultures. A kettle is what you call a flock of turkey vultures or vultures in general. I did not know that. So you learned something more today other than this weird carnal rain story. Had that carnal rain. Carnal rain. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> many species many species of vultures are known to vomit to make themselves lighter to take flight faster if they are in danger. These kettles or flocks of vultures can number into the hundreds, but more commonly in flocks of 10 to 20. The black vulture is known to fly to an altitude of 20,000 feet, so it very well could have been a kettle of vultures that rained down a shower of meat on the Crouch Farm. And black vultures are indigenous to the Kentucky area okay. as well, too. So this is the most plausible theory of what caused the meat shower of Kentucky, is a flock of vultures throwing up, and they were flying high enough that she couldn't see them. Or okay. just they could have been still flying overhead and she never would have noticed because... When she was making the soap, she was actually on the front porch at one point. So she wouldn't have been able to see overhead. Right. I gotcha. So this isn't a real life cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Yeah, you could say it is <sighs> in a way. Okay. A small sample of these pieces of meat still exist today at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, but unfortunately are too contaminated and old to be tested with modern scientific equipment to pinpoint what they are. These pieces were found in 2004 by art professor Kurt Gody while he was cleaning a storage closet and was ecstatic to find them due to his fascination in the meat shower. When he found, like, all the way with the bottle, you can still see where it says Olympia on it, and it's what he realized what it was. And, huh. And the cork that's in the bottle that when he found it, it was, like, at least 40 years old. Yeah. So he know that it's been opened and the fluid had been changed out to from possibly formaldehyde or something. Gotcha. Gody would go as far as meeting with a Cincinnati taste lab to create jelly beans based on the flavors in his own research to the meat shower. He would describe the flavor of the jelly beans as vile and strong enough that I would immediately spit out any meat with that taste, along with it being sugary with a chemical aftertaste. This chemical aftertaste could come from one of these theories that alleged vultures feasted on the corpse of lamb treated with strychnine to target coyotes in the area as a source of animal control. Jesus. In 2007, he would take his jelly beans to a fall festival named Kentucky Court Days in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, for people to try and tell the story of the meat shower through his art and the jelly beans. Many people compared the flavor to lamb starting to turn and pre-cooked bacon. His favorite flavor profile came from a large bearded man that instantly told him strawberry pork chops as soon as he put it into his mouth. Strawberry pork chops? Which, if you do Google strawberry pork chops, there are many recipes for for pork chops with a strawberry balsamic glaze. Ugh. Then you gotta think about it. You put apples on pork chops. I don't see why you can't do strawberries or something else. I guess. It just doesn't sound appetizing or appealing to me. No, maybe we might have to make it one of these times just for you to try it. You might be surprised. I don't know. Because you were the same way about hillbilly hot dogs until I made them for you. Yeah, but those are amazing. Oh, yeah, look at you now. For all you know, strawberry <laughs> pork chops can be the same way, too. I don't know. As of 2020, Gody was conceptualizing a community art project recreating the events of the meat shower through his and other artists so more Kentuckians know the strange and interesting chapter in their state's history. As for his jelly beans, he still has some, but nobody has ever wanted to try them twice. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame <laughs> them. Not even a little bit. That's disgusting. Yeah. It's like... Bean boozled of the worst kind. It's the precursor to the bean boozle, probably. Like hey, we've got jelly beans that taste like every type of rotten meat with <laughs> extra sugar. Who wants some? Yeah. Not me. <laughs> no thanks. But yeah, that's the uh, the Kentucky meat shower from 1876. That's strange. I knew that was going to be a good story for you because you, <laughs> yeah, it was literally the title alone and I saved it into favorites. Yeah. I didn't even read it. God. Like, if we have meat falling from the sky, can it be, like, ribeyes wrapped in plastic, at least? Yeah, some fucking briskets, too. <laughs> some briskets, some pork shoulders, like, something. That's insane. Gross. Vultures are gross. Have you ever seen them up close? Yeah, I've seen a couple of them in zoos, but... They're... Ugh. I'll never forget one time my mom and I were riding around in the, the woods where I used to live uh, on the golf cart. And we went around this corner and happened to look up and we saw this dead tree just 
full of turkey vultures yeah. sitting in the dead tree. It was the eeriest thing. Like, we both were like, oh, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. It'll never be solved. No. It's like one of those things about, like, the Beast of Busco. People don't want it solved, so the legend can continue on. Yeah. Well, that's understandable. And, I mean, with the, the only existing meat sample too cross-contaminated now, it's not going to be possible. Yeah. Unless it happens again. Oh, well, maybe. Thank you for the unicorns and rainbows. You're welcome. <laughs> I needed that. I had a hard time researching and writing and then reading all that again. Oh, I'm sure. And like I said, me looking into one thing always brings up other weird things that comes up. Yep. Like there's one meme that's been popping up on my timeline lately about the Kentucky ghost ship, which is sort of looking into it. And then, yeah. And then it spawned off into the whole other thread of things about when ships were made from concrete. Really? Yeah. That doesn't seem like a great way to make a ship. No. And they, there's, well, one kind of that still exists today. It's a ship right now, 150 yards off the coast of huh. Maryland. But but that's for another episode, another day. Yeah. Unless they get interested and go Google it now that I brought it up. Truth. You're and giving then, away show up, show ideas and... Yeah. Even though there's one that I know Kevin Carlton would be interested in that I'm going to tell you. After we're done recording, because I heard about it, I never knew this was a thing until listening to Coast to Coast AM last night while we were playing Diablo 4. Okay. I was like, as soon as I hear, like, the guy said this one sentence, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Why have I not heard of this paranormal story? Huh. I'm looking into it. Nice. So, it also, might be safe for October. Also, Kevin Carlton, Diablo 4. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to stop this until you buy it, probably. I'm not. We got to play with Kevin H. Yeah, Kevin Hire. Yes. So, I mean, it's only fair at this point that he gets on and plays, too. Right. Even though, like, as you said, he's really there more moral support for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well. Let let him get into that on, on their show, because he was laughing that whole time. I know. But yeah, so if you guys absolutely hated this episode, or at least the portion that I did, you can blame my oldest sister, Amy. <laughs> and no, I mean, it, it It was a very sad story, very hard to do, but stories like that need to come out so people realize, like, you gotta be more protective mm -hmm. and proactive when it comes to your kids. Yeah. Don't be stupid. Okay. All right, so... You ready to close the volume up for the day? I, yep. Yep, I'm sure you are. I am. <laughs> so until next time. Remember to creep it real. Okay, bye. Bye. Please check out our website at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast.